Shipping a £2 item for £5 isn't a very good way to make money. However, that doesn't stop many retailers from doing it. The problem often lies in the puzzle-like structure of modern retail, which involves many different pieces. IT owns the systems, e-commerce owns the sites, store operations owns the stores, and logistics owns transportation. But with all these siloed divisions and cost centers, who really owns profitability when it comes to Omnichannel? In the case of many organizations, no one. Welcome to Retail and Focus, the Retail Systems Podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, Content Editor of Retail Systems, and today we're going to look at how retailers can ensure that Omnichannel retail stays profitable. Even though retailers have 50% of the e-commerce orders fulfilled from a brick and mortar store, in many cases, no one is really owning the profitability of the end-to-end process. Taking a wrong approach to splitting up orders means that sight of the bottom line can get lost, and unwanted costs can also arise from poor labor planning. As a result, many retailers are starting to examine who within their organization has responsibility for ensuring omni-channel operations are adding to rather than taking away from the company's profits. To further explore these challenges, as well as impossible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Steve Ross, Global Omni-Channel Solution Principal at Aptos. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Steve. Yeah, it's good to see you again. I'm really happy to be here. I think this is our last in a series of three, and uh, it's been extremely interesting so far. So um, you've got some great questions. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. So uh, just to dive straight in, in your experience, which business department in a retailer should have responsibility for, for omnichannel profitability? Sure, start with the tough one. The answer is it really depends upon the organization and, in my opinion, the power dynamic within the company. There are really three or four big players. There's the stores, merchandise planning, logistics, and, of course, e-commerce. So I would eliminate right off the bat, the stores really cannot run omnichannel. They're a player in it but they've got their hands full running the four walls of the stores. So they, they need to have import. The logistics folks cannot, should not under any circumstances be running omnichannel. And the reason for that is the logistics team is primarily driven by cost and reducing cost. I worked in logistics for about six or seven years. And that was my one focus was how could I get my costs down? And that's kind of antithetical to a customer service operation. So you're really looking between e-commerce and planning. And what I would say is within the organization, whichever one of those has the bigger stick, the bigger pull, that's the organization that should be running omnichannel. And and I've seen it done both ways and can be successful both ways, but I always put it with whoever is the biggest dog. So what I think might be good to cover is could you talk about what are the main costs associated with omni-channel retail and where these are coming from? Really, it's like anything else in retail. It's your logistics costs and your labor costs. You're looking at, um, you know, in a store, it typically costs you about two times more to pick an item in a store than from a distribution center. A distribution center is set up to make picks as efficient as humanly possible. I'm not sure, Well, if you walked through a, a DC recently, but you've got robots and you've got pick-to-light modules and everything there is set up to reduce costs for picking. Whereas in a store, everything there is set up to entice the customer to walk through and to buy as much as possible. 
and have a great experience. But those are two really different setups. So you've got a labor model in the store that's much more expensive uh, than a DC. And then the other side of the equation is really your shipping costs. So within Omnichannel, you know, in, in the old model, you basically shipped one parcel to a customer and that was it. The order came in, it gets packed in one box and it's shipped to the customer. But these days with Omnichannel, that order can split between the DC and a number of different suppliers. You could go to a store, you could go upstream to a vendor who's doing drop shipping for you. And uh, the customer can get multiple packages. I was just reading an article the other day that Amazon dropped off 314 packages on a customer's porch. My record is only 18, so I really feel bested. But every single one of those packages that get delivered onto that customer's porch or onto their foyer of their flat is lost profit. It's like you look at every box, it's five pounds, five pounds, five pounds straight off your bottom line for shipping. So yeah, it's basically, it's like anything else in retail, it's labor and logistics costs as far as your main costs for omnichannel that need to be managed. So order splitting, another thing that's really emerging from a customer perception perspective is people realize it's not great for sustainability. People realize that maybe having five different packages dropped off on their door isn't the best use of the world's resources and the best use of cardboard. And I think that's something that's actually um, a lot of consumers, particularly millennials and generations Z, do appreciate good order splitting and actions which aren't intentionally wasteful from retailers. You're exactly right. And I think we touched on this in the, the last session, the whole idea of a hub and spoke model that a lot of retailers are looking at taking those packages, consolidating them into a, what you call in the uh, logistic world, a master carton and having that master carton delivered to that customer, because inherently that is wasteful from a sustainability perspective. It's horrible. And from a bottom line perspective, you're paying a tremendous amount for, for those supplies. So it's like a lose, lose, lose proposition. So it, it's something that retailers really need to get their arms around as they, as they look at omnichannel profitability. It's really strange when I used to run stores and I would sit down with my boss, we'd go line by line and he would look at me for supplies in my store and ask me why I spent more than last year on X, Y, or Z items. But in most retail organizations, there's no one doing that looking at omnichannel costs. They're not doing a line-by-line P&L view of why do we have this many order splits? What's driving that? Why are our supply costs so high? Why are our labor costs so high? So yeah, one of those um, underlying factors is uh, just a lack of management, my, my opinion, on, on omnichannel. And um, just a little bit more in terms of the consumer perception. These companies are meant to be the leaders in their field. They're meant to be, um, in some cases, companies which other companies look up to. All of these big retailers who are acclaimed for their innovation. But at the same time, if they can't get their order spitting right, that's something which tells customers at a very basic level that they have operational inefficiencies, that they perhaps have management issues, they perhaps um, aren't getting everything right. No, exactly. And, and I think we touched on this previously, Will, is that the, the brick and mortar model grew up over a hundred years and it became, and it is very, very efficient because it's had continuous improvement over decades and decades. Like what we're doing today with Omnichannel 
is for the most part, two years old, three years old. Omnichannel has really come into its own with COVID. And you've got businesses that went from say a 4% or 5% penetration on Omnichannel to their total business to 20 to 30% penetration in Omnichannel to their total business. So retailers are having to learn on the fly. And when you learn on the fly, you are inherently going to be inefficient. It doesn't mean that you need to continue to be inefficient. It just means that you don't have that learning curve yet to help you reduce your costs, provide a better customer experience, be more sustainable. So we're kind of that toddler phase, if you will, where retailers are just kind of making a mess. Uh, They're trying to muddle through uh, with the systems that they've got today and the processes that they've got today. And with the pandemic coming to a close in large parts of the world, it's something that retailers need to kind of wrap their arms around as they look at their costs, because their omni-channel costs are going to be uh, quite high. In fact, I was looking at something that came from IHL Group, and they were looking at the average margin loss versus a traditional visit, traditional store visit. And if you look at like a uh, buy online return in store, there's about a 5.5% margin loss versus a traditional store visit. On a local delivery, there's about an 8% profit loss. You're looking at a buy online pickup in store or click and collect, and it's about a 5% margin loss. So that's something that's going to very rapidly get the attention of the CFO and the COO over time. So just one thing I wanted to delve a bit more into, what are the underlying factors which, which are causing retailers to ship unprofitable items? And uh, why this thing which um, just seems obviously so ludicrous, the whole idea of spending five pounds to ship a two pound item, why does this keep happening in so many cases? It is like a bad penny. It just keeps turning up. I made that mistake years ago. And what it is, is you don't know what you don't know. For so many retailers, Omni is a new journey. And it's a new journey that they are taking kind of by themselves. And you know, one of the things that we do at, at Aptos is we try to network our clients together. We also try to work with them kind of one-on-one to help them work through this. But unless you've got a partner that's there to help you, you are going to make those mistakes. And it's kind of like everybody puts their hand on the oven once and everybody does it, you get burnt, you take it off. But there's no reason that people need to continue to do that. What I, what I really see is two things. One is a lack of understanding. I used to be a planner. Once I get something into the store, like all my costs have been incurred for the most part. My shipping costs, my trucking costs, my big costs, I've already absorbed those. My labor costs in the store when I was a planner, that's pretty much sunk. Whether my stuff's there or not, it it doesn't matter. Those costs are going to be incurred. So as a planner, I never thought about those additional costs for like shipping or anything like that. So you've got that two pound item that gets shipped for $5. A merchandise planner isn't really trained or brought up to think that way about the cost of things coming out of the store. They're trained on the cost of things getting into the store. So it's like a completely different mindset. And then the other thing that I really see is a lack of oversight and process. And I'll go back to like the PL example. When I ran a store and when I ran 
stores as a national operator, we would pour over profit and loss statements to figure out efficiencies. Do we need to spend on this? Do we need to spend on that? And what I've seen over the years is no one really does that on Omnichannel. It all gets siloed. People look at store labor, the store operations people do. Logistics looks at the logistics costs um, by itself. The um, merchandising team is looking at markdowns. And they're not working together. There needs to be a connected tissue, if you will, amongst those groups, a omni-channel liaison team or an omni-channel area that owns that, that pulls all of that sinew and muscle together of those organizations so you can really get a grip of what your costs are. I've seen repeatedly where organizations are celebrating, you know, we got 20 million pounds in sales in our first month on ship from store and you go and look at it and yeah, they got 20 million pounds in sales, but they actually lost 7 million pounds to do it because of the labor and the shipping costs and all the low margin product that they were selling. So really it's kind of training your teams on understanding the back end, but building that oversight and process into your organization to really look at omni-channel profitability on a monthly quarterly, annual basis, just like you do anything else in your organization. That's what I find is I don't see the same rigor around business reviews on omni-channel that you see in the rest of the organization. So we've touched on a lot of the pitfalls of the omni-channel model when it comes to losing money. But I think on a more positive note, could we touch on some of the ways which the omni-channel model can save retailers money and is saving retailers money? Yeah, omni-channel is a way to make money. You can be profitable. You can drive the top line. You can preserve your bottom line with omni-channel. It's absolutely a way uh, to go through and do that. And one of the best ways is click and collect. It's one of the oldest uh, use cases for omni-channel, but I love click and collect. I love the fact that the customer is coming into the store and she is going to pick up that product. And it's great in two ways. The first way is you are not spending uh, that five or six pounds to deliver it to her. She is your last mile. So you're immediately saving money right there. The other thing is your ability to convert her into an add-on sale when she comes into the store. In the recent National Retail Federation virtual meeting in, uh, in June, Macy's and I think Best Buy were both looking at how they can drive more click and collect orders, more uh, people coming into the stores, because every order that you can do that on, that is going to go right down to your bottom line. The other thing I would really say on ways to save on Omnichannel is really to look at your order management application and, you know, simple things like, do you have a configuration for minimizing splits? Do you have a configuration set up for I don't want to split an order more than five times or three times or two times, whatever is really necessary for your business. And most order management applications uh, such as ours have a configuration within that, that you can say, you know, I want to ship everything complete. I don't want to split anything, or I want to split things only two or three times. And just that little thing by itself is going to prevent you from driving those tail and, um, scenarios where you're shipping five, six, seven, ten 10 cartons uh, to a customer. 
So there's that piece. And then what I would also say on the front end is building a process to exclude items from online coming from your store that just aren't profitable. There's no reason why that three pound or two pound item needs to come from the store. In almost every order management application, there's an ability to protect or exclude inventory. So you just go in, you've got a monthly review, uh, you go in and exclude the item that you don't want to have up on the site. Uh, we're actually looking at building that functionality into our application through AI and machine learning with our Revionics team in the future. But that's something that retailers can be looking at right now. And that is actually the easiest and simplest thing to do. If you make that tweak, you can instantly go and become very, very profitable on Omnichannel just by controlling what you put out there to sell. So um, I know we've touched on this previously, but just looking at things more generally, what approach do you recommend to retailers to ensure Omnichannel profitability as a whole? Retailers typically have built-in, current built-in processes to look at profitability, to look at costs, to look at margin, to look at driving top line. And they're innate to the retail culture. I mean, I've worked for a number of different retailers, and there's always a monthly plan review. There's always a monthly P&L review. Mirror those processes. You don't necessarily need to invent something new. Take the processes that you already have that are innate into your culture that your teams are used to doing and extend them into the omni-channel world. So if you're doing a P&L review for your source or doing a P&L review for logistics or your e-com site or you know, the merchandise planning team goes through that literally every single month and report on how they did versus forecast, just take that process and extend it into omni-channel. So just as you go through and you've got a forecast for where you think sales and costs and margins are going to be for each of those areas that I, you know, I just touched on, you can build out that same process for omnichannel. And what I will say is it's harder. It's, it's a lot harder. It's one thing, you know, I used to run DCs and you've got a DC, it, you know, it's a nice four walls. It's very easy to see your expenses. If you're running stores, you've got you know, the four walls of your stores and you can see expenses and sales. But once things start to merge, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And that's where you need to pull in the finance team and you need to be creative and you need to take a cross-functional approach. So leverage your legacy process so people don't feel like they're doing something brand new. And then you know, I would really put the onus on that owning that process with the finance team within an organization, because at the end of the day, they own that audit. They own uh, that reporting process. And Omnichannel should just be something that the uh, corporate finance or the corporate operations team uh, should own like anything else. But it's really that. The business is there. COVID has shown that the business is there for Omnichannel. Now, retailers, the, the job really is to put that underlying infrastructure in to manage those sales, manage your costs, and manage your profitability. And I see retailers doing that, doing that right now. I just actually had a, a retailer here uh, where I live reach out to me uh, last week about, and they're a very big retailer, you know, like three or $4 billion. 
uh, and they want to talk about omni profitability. So I'm actually going to be meeting with them over the next few weeks to help their finance team kind of get their arms around profitability. Yeah, finance is something which is integral to the entire process. You might initially think about omnichannel from the perspective of logistics, but really it includes every single part of the organization, including areas like IT and finance. Yeah, finance is critical. The thing is that finance builds the plan. Between finance and all the organizations, they own the plan. They own the reporting on the plan. They own the actual reporting back and the audit process. The thing is with omnichannel, it is so enmeshed across all these organizations. So if you walk an order through, it comes in through the e-commerce website, or it can come in through the POS system in the store, two separate organizations. So then it rolls in through the order management system and it gets allocated, let's say out to a distribution center, to a store and to a drop shipment. So you've got an order that has been split three ways across three different organizations. And then they're all going to ship it to the customer. So now they're going to use the um, logistics accounts from the logistics team. So you've got costs and sales and margin that are spanning all of these different organizations. And the finance team really is that connective tissue on the kind of on the audit side and the planning side. There needs to be an omni-channel team that's kind of that connective tissue on the planning side and on the strategy side. So you've got two different organizations that are really critical to making omni-channel work. But if the finance team isn't involved in omni-channel, I can guarantee you that things will break down on the back end. And it'll slowly grow. But if COVID has shown anything over the last 18 months is that you know retailers have been very creative around dealing with the pandemic with dark doors. So if you've got a dark door that was locked and they're acting as a distribution center, who gets charged for that labor? Are they a distribution center? Are they a store? I've literally seen arguments in companies about you know the store operations team saying, well, I'm closed. Can't charge me for any of that. And logistics is like, that's not my facility. I didn't plan for stores. And the finance team and the operations team needs to be the, the ones in between because I've seen knock, knockout brawls over that over the last uh, 18 months in some companies as um, areas of a company become territorial, especially when sales are tough. Yeah, exactly. And the cultural piece, I think, is very important to mention because ultimately, at the end of the day, everyone wants to look good at how they've done in terms of how they've done their own job. Everyone wants to look good in terms of how their own department is performing. And everyone wants to uh, be ahead in terms of their own to-do list. But these things don't necessarily correlate to the success of the entire business as a whole, to the success of the model as a whole. And this kind of territorial infighting, as immature as it sounds, I think it's unrealistic to pretend that it doesn't happen. It's something that um, almost certainly happens at every level of organization. Yeah, and it goes back to that idea of how comfortable are you with change? Because that retail model that has grown up over 100 years, people are very comfortable with it. People know their roles. If you're in stores, you own the four walls. If you're in logistics, you own distribution. If you're like a standalone e-commerce site, you know what you own. And now it's a very murky place. And you know, retailers, are, we're going to get through it. It's going to take a little time. But the idea is that you know, we'll come out of the other side, and what you're going to see, I believe, are more matrix organizations 
uh, rather than siloed, just because of the fact that the business is more matrix now. You've got sales coming in from marketplaces and from stores and from websites and from pop-up stores. And you've got fulfillment that's coming from vendors and stores and distribution centers. And then you've got the product being fulfilled from all of those different locations. And then on the return side, you've got 30 to 50% of all e-com returns right now are going back to the stores as opposed to being shipped back to a DC because only a crazy person pays money to ship something back if they don't have to. So yeah, it's a much more matrix organization where logistics ownership is shared and sales are shared and costs are shared and retailers are just they're going to have to work through it. And the, the nice thing about Omnichannel is that you can kind of plan how much of that change you want to absorb by how much click and collect you do, how much fulfill from store you do. And it's something you've got to think about as you're moving forward into the world because the customer wants it. I mean, she wants all this and she wants it yesterday. And it's really not a choice for a retailer not to do this. It's the choice for the retailer is, how much do I want to do and how do I want to manage it? So bringing in a partner to work with you that has done this before is always a key thing. And that is something that we do with our clients every day. I'm actually working with one of our clients right now who has not done to fill from store and I'm helping them build out their holiday plan. So what do they want to do for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, the week before Christmas, Boxing Day? I'm working with them right now to uh, help them figure all of that out because it's new to them, but it's not new to me. So just a little bit more towards that point. How can retailers keep their omni-channel operations profitable during high volume periods like Black Friday and Cyber Monday? I think I used this word in one of the prior sessions, which is you've got to be planful. You've got to really sit down and think about how you want to use your stores and how you want to use your fleet and your network. Uh, the, the best example I can give you is like one of the very first years that I set up ship from store, we're like, oh, we'll leave it on. And we didn't really, this was like 20 years ago, and we didn't give really good direction. And so, you know, we had an instance where orders came in overnight and it stripped the stores of the uh, Black Friday product. So, the orders came in, they stripped the stores, and we didn't have enough teams to come in for picking in the morning. So the stores open, I'm not sure, you know, like Boxing Day and Black Friday, you, know, you get crowds of people, and we've got people coming in and picking things up at the register, you know, taking things to the register, we've got orders coming in, and we couldn't pick fast enough. We just, we needed to clone people. We just couldn't do it fast enough, and it was a lesson learned, but, you know, that's a lesson learned from like 20 years ago. So, you know, one of the things you do for, say, Black Friday or Boxing Day in the morning is you turn off the fill from store. You just turn it off. There's absolutely no way that a store is going to be able to go through and get those items picked in time against that walk-in customer. So, you know, you turn it off from, I don't know when stores open. I mean, I'm used to stores opening at like 4 a.m. So from 4 a.m. to like 1, you, just, you turn it off and you call it a day. And that really is a customer service issue. You're keeping that product in store and you're taking care of that walking customer. And then you turn it on at 1 p.m. 
The other thing that you do is all of that e-commerce business that comes in for Cyber Monday, it is insane. DCs get really backed up. Every single year, like clockwork, they move out of their uh, service level agreement. They get backed up by three, four, five days. And that does not need to happen in any way, shape, or form. The trick is to leverage your stores for those Cyber Monday orders. Because your stores are not terribly busy that week after Black Friday, that week after Thanksgiving. There are certain times in the holiday season, especially early on, that the, the stores um, have got a lot of inventory and not a lot of customers. And at the same time, your DCs are filling a glut of orders from e-commerce customers. So you know, one of the, the tricks I've learned over the years is like single unit orders. I route single unit orders to my stores. The DCs don't wanna handle them. It kills their throughput. They'd much rather put three, four, five units in a parcel and ship it out. So let the stores handle certain orders and let the DCs handle the, the type of orders that they are good at. And then the other thing that you do is to really push click and collect closer to Christmas. Just market it, put it on your website. It's in all your marketing materials. It is your best friend as you get closer to Christmas and Boxing Day because of the fact that your DCs are no longer going to deliver on time or they may be backed up or your carriers may be backed up. And every customer you can get to come into your store to pick something up is a way for you to relieve that backlog. I'd much rather have a customer coming into my store that week before Christmas or the couple of days before Christmas uh, or Boxing Day and have them then have them put an order into my e-com site because the odds are very good that I get them to buy more in the store. Uh, but the other side of the coin is it's a better experience for her. I love being in the stores at Christmas and it's better for you from a bottom line perspective because that sale is going to cost you less. But all of that takes planning and thinking. And I think we, we use the term planful in one of the prior episodes. You just need to sit down and think about that. And that's something that we do with our clients every day is we work with them on, you know, what are you going to do for holiday? How do you want to leverage your application? Here are some tips and tricks. And we take a more consultative approach uh, with our clients at Aptos than I think some of the other order providers do. But that's because I've got a, a 20 plus year career in uh, running stores and logistics and planning. Uh, so I've got some, some knowledge that some of our competitors don't. And we leverage that for our clients. But yeah, there's a bunch of different ways that you can come at it during high volume periods. Those, those are just three right off the top of my head. Yeah, and it's undoubtedly a difficult challenge, and it's not an easy one for anyone. No, I was going to say, well, the nice thing about Omni, at least, is that, and we touched on this previously, is if something's not working, you can change it really quickly. You can change a couple of dials, flip a couple of switches uh, in the application, and try something new. In the brick and mortar world, that's nothing you can really do quickly. It takes a couple of weeks to get a change out to the stores and get it implemented. But with Omnichannel, you can literally change some of the dials in the application and some of the configurations. And 15 minutes later, your change is in place and you can see how that change is, is impacting your business. 
Yeah, exactly. And there's so many different ways to succeed at Omnichannel as well, because like you mentioned, a lot of the time consumers do like coming into the stores. And for them, that's part of the holiday experience as part of the festive experience. So it's about offering different options to consumers that make them happy, but can also save you money. And I think sort of at Christmas, people shop for different reasons. Some people are shopping entirely out of convenience. Some people are shopping more for the experience. So there's scope for consumers and retailers to collaborate and to kind of mix and match what's working best for them. No, exactly. Christmas period, Boxing Day should be, it's just an experience for your customers. And Omnichannel should sort of work seamlessly in the background, except where she sees it, which is typically on uh, click and collect in the store or expediting orders to her quicker from the store. But it should all work sort of seamlessly in the background to give her the best experience possible. And I really think retailers are going to take the learnings from COVID, and I'm really seeing this with our clients and in the industry, and putting those learnings uh, into uh, the holiday season with curbside pickup, focus on click and collect, a focus on fulfill from store where it makes sense, and uh, really pushing that omni-channel experience with their customer across all of their marketing modes, whether it's print, banners, uh, social media, but really showing off those skills that retailers have built up over the last 18 months with the pandemic for this holiday season. I think this is going to be a great holiday season for retailers, and I think it'll be an awesome holiday season for Omnichannel. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the numbers look like going into early next year, but you can't learn what you learned over the last 18 months and not apply it to a great holiday. Yeah, and there's all of the pent-up optimism from the pandemic. It was a difficult time for everyone, and now the economy is definitely changing. I'm just so interested in seeing how that's going to play out. I'm optimistic. I mean, everything I have seen, um, customer spend looks like it's going to be up, customer optimism. I, I know I'm like, I'm dying to leave my basement and get out and see the world. And I am going to do in-person holiday shopping this year. I have not done in-person holiday shopping in a couple of years. I really want to feel what it's like to be in a store uh, during holiday with all the decorations and the crowds of people around you. I mean, I never really look forward to holiday crowds, but I am going to be this year. And I know a lot of people I talk to are looking forward to being out in a crowded mall and a crowded store and just feeling like it's Christmas, the way that it's been in years past, I think that's definitely going to happen. And Omnichannel will be there to support the customers in the stores along the way. Yeah, so I can't wait to see how the new normal is going to play out, more of a return to the old normal, and a Christmas where people are actually spending their time with their families, and, you know, going back home, potentially to hometowns who haven't been in a while. Yeah, yeah, I'm cheering up, Will. I feel the exact same way. Canada just had their Thanksgiving Day yesterday. And we've got an office in Montreal. And I was talking to some folks this morning uh, from our Montreal office. And they were literally tearing up about the fact that they were seeing family that they hadn't seen in some instances for two, almost three years because they had missed a Thanksgiving. And it was just, it it was a big deal. And I'm looking forward. I'm going to be traveling back home. Uh, to see my parents, and I haven't been there in two years. So I think it's going to be a hallmark holiday for everybody. But I think it's going to be a great Christmas because there's just pent-up demand and pent-up emotional demand 
uh, with customers. I, I'm seeing it myself. So um, I think on that positive note, we should draw things to a close with that little burst of festive optimism. So if our listeners would like to learn more about Aptos, where would you send them? Kind of two places. One, there's aptos.com, our website, and you can see information on order management there. Or you can just reach out to us directly via email. We've got an email that says, it's Omni Health Check, all one word, dot, at aptos.com. And if you send an email to that address, it'll come to me or one of my compatriots and we'll get back to you right away. Thanks so much for your time, Steve. It's been a really good series. I've learned a lot. I'm sure many of our listeners have as well. So I can't thank you enough for sparing the time to do these and uh, best of luck with everything. And uh, maybe see you again soon. And uh, to our listeners, goodbye. Have a great day and a Merry Christmas to everybody and happy Boxing Day.